This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 4th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Government funding of science has fundamentally altered the direction of scientific progress, and not for the better. Terence Keeley is a clinical biochemist and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. He argues that government-directed research agendas gives rise to less competition in scientific inquiry and does nothing for economic growth. Why is the attitude so pervasive that in order to have science, the government must be intimately involved? Well, that's because people generally assume that without government, there would be no science because people think there would be no incentive to private profit-making entities to fund things like exploring atoms or exploring space. The problem with that uh, belief is that it's not true, and in as much as it's true, it's not actually fair on the taxpayer. Does science have public good characteristics? That is, we typically say that public goods are things that the private sector would underfund because the benefits are private. Yeah. Well, of course, there are two definitions of public goods. There's public good in the economic sense that without it, there would be something of economic value that society wouldn't have, in this case, economic growth. And then there's the public good concept of you know, it's good for all of us to realize that the earth is round and the space is large and that animals evolved. Um, so these are the two public good uh, aspects of science. What happens at the moment in, in America, for example, is half of all basic science is funded by the government and half of all basic science is funded by the non-government sector, half of which is industry and half of which are the foundations. Now, if you look at America before 1940, when there had been effectively no government funding of science since, in fact, the foundations of the republic, almost all basic science in America was then funded by these private sectors, industry and the foundations. And yet, America's economic growth had been fabulous. I mean, America became the richest country in the world in 1890. And so by 1940, uh, for 50 years, you had remained the richest country in the world with no government funding of science, either basic or applied. And so the great problem is that uh, you don't need the government to fund basic science. And the concern is that if the government does fund basic science, it'll only crowd out these private sources of funding. All right. So what characteristics tend to define science that is conducted in the public sector or with public sector money and science that is conducted by private industry and foundations? Is there something clearly we can say about those two kinds of science? Well, there has been now, but there wasn't until recently. I mean, as recently as Ronald Reagan's last term in office, two-thirds of all research and development in America, industrial as well as applied, as well as pure, was funded by the federal government. Today, only one-third. And most of that, by the way, when it's not basic science, is focused on defense. So what you've actually got in America has been the huge development over the last 20, 30 years of the privatization of industrial research. So people had believed for many years that governments needed to subsidize industrial research, uh, and, and people now no longer believe that. So now we're reduced to people believing only that governments should fund basic science. So what does that look like? What is basic science when people talk about that as a funding priority? 
Basic science has one fundamental difference from technological or applied science. Basic science is science that scientists themselves think should be followed and funded. The scientists themselves sitting in laboratories, largely in universities, but sometimes in foundations, saying, look, this is the discovery that X, Y, and Z have made, X, Y, and Z, I should say, have made, and this is exciting, and we should follow this for its own sake, i.e. it's science that is divorced from immediate application to technology. It's science pursued by scientists because scientists think it's interesting. To the extent you have arguments for government funding basic science, that would seem to be a pretty weak one. It's a very weak one because we know that foundations and industry together fund an enormous amount of basic science and would fund more if the government hadn't crowded them out. But people don't know that. If you were to go down the street today and say to people, what share of basic science in America today is funded by the government, most people would probably give you an answer of 90%. They would be astonished to discover it's only 50%. You make a point about uh, the public good characteristics of science and say that it's ephemeral in a way, and that is that in order to appreciate scientific breakthroughs, you yourself are very likely to be somebody who is contributing something. That is to say, you are, you're also doing work in that field. In economic terms, it is a myth that um, the, the private for-profit sector would neglect basic science. Private for-profit companies need basic science. Everyone agrees on that because they need to apply it in various ways. The myth is that private for-profit companies would, in a completely free market, not invest in science. They would just try to copy it from other people, but, and therefore they would underinvest. But we know that's not true because we know that the only way a private company can access the basic science of other people is by funding its own basic scientists and its own basic science so that one group of scientists can actually talk to another group of scientists. It's a myth that the average person off the street can read today's journal of molecular biology. Only other molecular biologists can do that. And so there's a huge private incentive for for-profit companies to invest in basic science because only their own basic scientists who are fully equipped with contemporary knowledge can access that of other people. Robert Higgs, in his various books, makes this argument about taxation. And he argues that the, tax, the real tax is not the money the government takes from you in order to fund this or that. It's the resources that it is removing from the private sector and then applying to whatever project that it is uh, engaged in. Is that does, are scientists? Do they fall into that category? Are they are they then are they part of the tax that is removed from the private sector? It's a profoundly perceptive point. The numbers of scientists who really matter is surprisingly small. It's not that every scientist is equal. In every field, you have a handful of men and women who dominate that field because they are just so good. And the great danger is that when governments fund science, that handful of really top scientists migrate naturally to the Harvards and the Yales and the NIHs because they, of course, want to do science that interests them. Uh, and they're given huge sums of money by the federal government to have fun. But the trouble with that is that you are then for left in industry with a second division rank of scientists, and they are not as good as the best ones. And because 
The best ones, therefore, are no longer harnessed to the problems of economic growth. You get the situation which has been recorded both by um, economists funded by the federal government here in Washington and also economists funded by all the uh, governments of the OECD, that when governments fund science, they take the best scientists out of the market into these ivory towers, and the market therefore suffers and economic growth suffers. Is there any science that the government ought to do? Yeah. I think that uh, this becomes really a, a matter of value judgment. But I think most people would agree there are two types of science the government should do. One, of course, is defense research. That is, defense is, is obviously the ultimate public good. It is the first responsibility of a government to protect its citizens. And defense needs research. So no one would doubt that. It's not excludable. It's not right. You, you, if you live, if you're in the United States of America, you are benefiting from defense spending, arguably. Most certainly. So that's one argument. The other argument becomes a value judgment, which is not to be trivial, though, which is that um, can we just rely upon the for-profit sector and philanthropic trusts to do all the research that we need? So, for example, the discovery that uh, cigarettes give you lung cancer was funded by governments, first of all, by Hitler's government in Germany, because he was an obsessional anti-smoking agitator, and then later and independently by the Medical Research Council in, in Britain. Certainly, the idea that cigarette companies would have made this research, clearly that would never have happened. Would the philanthropic sector? Nobody knows. But I think the answer is that in a healthy scientific community, there would always be some science performed by government because that science is directly accountable to the people via parliament, via Congress. And I think most people would argue that there is something to be said for a publicly funded science accountable to democratically elected uh, people to ensure that you don't get a world of science dominated by industry and even foundations, which isn't talking to anyone else. I think it's quite a small concern. I think that the danger of even that is you crowd out foundations. I mean, it's very interesting, for example, that people like Bill Gates are now funding really quite marginal research in Africa and places like that, not because it's not important. Of course, it's not. Of course, it's important, but because the American taxpayer is not going to fund that particularly. I, Bill Gates actually has difficulty finding projects to fund because they're so well funded by the American government. I have no doubt, most projects, I have no doubt that the American government didn't fund core research in this country. People like Bill Gates would have absolutely moved into these core projects. So, yes, I think no one can deny that democratically accountable science must, by definition, be a good thing if you believe in democracy, rightly or wrongly. But let us not believe that such democratically accountable science in any way is a matter of economic growth, because it isn't. What it is is a matter of making science democratically accountable, the danger being that you'll crowd out foundation science, which ultimately does leak out into the public domain anyway. So the concerns may not be very big. But to conclude, if someone said to me, I believe that democratically elected Congresses and parliaments should have their own access to science without being mediated by anyone else. That becomes a value judgment, and no one can dispute it by definition. You make a parallel argument to this, which is that science is necessarily a competitive process. So what happens to science as a competitive process when the government is dominating? That's a very good question, and it's very dangerous. We have seen uh, over the last two or three years a crisis in science as people suddenly have realized that 
an enormous number of papers cannot be reproduced by other scientists, that there's an enormous amount, a surprising amount of fraud and other very unhelpful practices taking place in, in, in uh, government-funded university laboratories. And this is because these laboratories are really quite divorced from technology. They're divorced from any outcome other than the publication of papers. And so um, you could say there's a sense in which science is kept honest by technology because you can't cheat on technology. Either a car works or it doesn't work. But the model of government-funded science is of scientists sitting in laboratories accountable only by the number of papers they publish. And therefore, you get a very unhealthy situation where false science is only too easily pursued. Coupled to that is that if you've only got one funder, you're going to get monolithic thinking. Peer review, of course, peer review sounds terrific because it means that decisions are not arbitrary, they're not unfair, they're not corrupt, but a decision on funding or indeed publication is made by a community. The trouble is that you then get the problem of community groupthink. And if everybody in the community thinks the same thing, you end up with a scientific community that is propagating only one paradigm. On the other hand, if you have lots of competing foundations who are funded by different people, who have different prejudices and concepts and beliefs, you end up with many different ideas clashing in the scientific marketplace, and you end up, therefore, with a much healthier scientific progress. Terence Keeley is a clinical biochemist and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.